the BioWorld Insider Podcast. This is the BioWorld Insider Podcast. I'm Lynn Yaffe, BioWorld's publisher. Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, incurable and with no clear cause in most cases, ALS is a progressive fatal neurodegenerative disease. It attacks neurons that control voluntary movement. As those neurons die, people with ALS experience a gradual loss of muscle movement, speech, swallowing, and eventually the ability to breathe without mechanical ventilation. Also known as Lou Gehrig's disease and motor neuron disease, ALS affects a little more than four people out of every 100,000, or about 343,600 globally. It's diagnosed most often in older white men, but it also affects women, younger people, and people of all races. Each year, there are an estimated 105,000 new cases. So far, there are just two drugs that have gained broad regulatory approvals to slow the progression of the disease. Rilazole, a medicine first approved in the U.S. in 1995 and now sold by several drug makers as a generic, and Mitsubishi Tanab Pharma's Radicava, a medicine first approved in Japan in 2015 and then approved in the U.S. in 2017. Just one additional therapy has won approval globally, the autologous bone marrow-derived mesenchymal stem cell therapy Neuronata-R in South Korea. Still, most people with ALS live just three to five years beyond the first signs of the disease. On the precipice of joining those medicines, perhaps, is AMX0035, a candidate from Amelix Pharmaceuticals now under review at the FDA with a June 29th PDUFA date. However, the company will have to overcome the March vote of an FDA advisory committee that, while split, ultimately voted that the company's phase two study called Centaur did not demonstrate substantial evidence of effectiveness to support approval. We're pleased to have Amelix co-CEOs and co-founders Josh Cohen and Justin Klee joining us today to talk about what's next for the program. Not far behind Amelix is Clean Nanomedicine with its gold nanocrystal suspension, CNMAU8. It's an experimental therapy in phase three testing as part of Massachusetts General Hospital's Healy ALS platform trial. Results for those experiments are expected in the second half of 2022. Dr. Zachary Simmons, a professor and vice chair for research in Penn State's Department of Neurology, is an investigator in the Healy ALS trial. He joins us today, along with the president and CEO of CLEAN, Rob Etherington. They'll be speaking with Bioworld Managing Editor, Michael Fitzhugh. Michael? Thanks, Lynn, and thanks to all our guests for joining us. I'm expecting we're going to cover a lot of ground in this episode, so I just want to outline a little bit about what's ahead. We're going to start with a big picture view of what it's like for ALS patients post-diagnosis in developed markets right now. After that, we'll move on to talking about a major platform trial underway at the Sean Healy and AMG Center for ALS at Mass General, and Clean's Gold Nanocrystal Suspension, one of the potential therapies in testing in the trial. Finally, We'll dive into the timely story of Amelix's AMX0035, a fixed-dose combination of sodium phenylbutyrate and torusodiol. 
Dr. Simmons, let's start with you. Your work around ALS has covered a lot of ground from the founding of an ALS clinic at Penn State nearly 30 years ago to evaluating newly referred patients with possible ALS. What's it like for ALS patients today? What's the standard of care? So thank you very much for asking me to be here today. Um, the biggest change that, that I've seen over the past 30 years is the increasingly widespread availability of the multidisciplinary clinic as the standard of care. So the term multidisciplinary clinic means that individuals with ALS uh, and their caregivers are seen at each visit not solely by their physician, but by a team of healthcare professionals, a nurse, physical and occupational therapist, speech therapist, dietitian, social worker, mental health professional, a respiratory therapist, and in our clinic and some others, a pastoral care counselor. The goal is to try to address the many needs of these individuals while at the same time reducing the burden associated with multiple different visits scheduled at different times. And we know that multidisciplinary care extends survival and improves quality of life, which is why it has become the standard of care. Uh, other aspects of standard of care involve the use of non-invasive ventilatory devices for those individuals whose breathing capacity is below a certain level, uh, the provision of equipment and supplies to improve safety and increase mobility and independence, and the prescription of FDA-approved medications for slowing the progression of ALS itself and for helping the many symptoms our patients develop, such as depression, anxiety, problems with secretions, and muscle cramps. So that multidisciplinary care is, I mean, is a much more immersive approach than, than I realized. Why, why do we need new, new medicines? I mean, what, what will new medicines bring to the, the table in that sort of bigger wraparound picture for patients? Yeah, so that's a, that's a very important question. So if you think about it historically, uh, you know, as was said in the introduction, the first drug for uh, that was approved by the FDA for ALS, uh, Riluzole, was approved nearly nearly 30 years ago. And and so what Riluzole has been shown to do is to modestly prolong survival. The second was uh, Adarvone, Radicava, which was uh, approved for intravenous administration a few years ago. But the IV form is, is somewhat burdensome to patients because of its frequent administration. It usually requires the placement of a catheter or a port. Uh, the FDA has just recently approved an oral form of the drug, and uh, Adarvone slows ALS progression in some patients and can be given along with, with Riluzole. Uh, but there are um, currently no other FDA-approved drugs for altering the natural history of ALS, uh, although, as was mentioned earlier, AMX0035 is now being considered for approval by, by the FDA. So despite these advances in treatment, the average lifespan for someone with ALS from the time of onset of symptoms until death is, is still less than three years. And, and there are definitely some whose illness progresses slowly and who survive 5, 10, or even 20 or more years, but these still constitute the minority of individuals with, with ALS. So new medications are needed to improve this outlook by extending survival or, better yet, 
stopping ALS progression altogether and, and putting people into remission the same way that cancer drugs do. I know that you know there there's some incremental efforts going on with I think radicava is being developed as a oral therapy like I think that there's an oral form of radicava being developed but what improvements overall can we expect from a new generation of ALS medicines I mean is it is it primarily incre- incremental life ex- extension or or as you suggest maybe is there a possibility that we, that we might see a medicine that actually stops the progression of the disease altogether yeah. So, so my hope, and and the hope of of most of those I talk to in the ALS community, of course, is 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 for a cure, and, and I still hold that out as as the ultimate goal. Uh, but but my hope for the next generation of medications for ALS is really focused on prolonging survival by dramatically slowing progression and ultimately stopping progression of uh, of ALS altogether, which which of course would lead to better function and a higher quality of life for for a longer period of time. Uh, Our current trials, including those in in the Healy trial, are are based on the goal of slowing progression. I I foresee a time in the not-too-distant future when individuals with ALS uh, will be treated most likely with a combination of several medications, a, a cocktail, if you will, that each address a different mechanism by which ALS damages motor neurons. And my hope is that by combining these medications, the goal would be to address the many different pathways that malfunction in ALS and result in in the loss of motor neurons. And I think that that's the next realistic goal. This is why the current trials are investigating medications that act on so many different biological pathways in the nervous system. Aside from these, of course, there's also considerable research into stem cell treatments and genetically based treatments. Uh, and although these have not yet shown success, I, I'm hopeful about those as well. So you mentioned the Healy ALS platform trial. Can you just tell us a little bit about how platform trial maybe differs from the more common randomized controlled trial that of the type that you know, I'd, I'd bet our listeners are pretty familiar with? Yeah, so the, the Healy trial is, is an exciting development in, in, the, in the way that we evaluate drugs uh, for ALS. The goal is to permit the more rapid development of new treatments by requiring fewer individuals to assess uh, each, each new drug. And, and the leaders in this have been the, 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 the group at MGH. The methodology of the trial is that several drugs are tested at once or they're tested in rapid succession using a protocol that's very similar for all the drugs tested so that the startup for each new drug is simpler and shorter. And and then individuals who qualify for the trial are randomly assigned to a drug or placebo group, but the ratio is, is three to one, meaning that three people in the trial receive the study drug for every one who receives placebo because the placebo group is shared by all of the trial arms. So the Healy trial began with three drugs, all of which have completed their double-blind phase and for which results uh, should be available later this year. Uh, since then, a fourth drug has been added to the regimen and has completed enrollment. A fifth drug is now open for enrollment, and a sixth is being planned. Um, the placebo-controlled phase, during which the study participants and their physicians do not know whether they're receiving drug or placebo, lasts 24 weeks. 
and is followed by an open label phase during which individuals are permitted to continue in the trial with the assurance that they'll receive the active drug, or they can choose to be randomized back into the trial again if they still qualify in order to be in a different arm. So, so this study of so many new drugs in such a short period of time has really been a game changer for ALS treatment. That's amazing. It's, it's, it's such a such a complex and intricate design, but it sounds so 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 efficient and and obviously so so needed right now. As you mentioned, we're going to be seeing uh, results from that trial later this year. I think that there's going to be readouts, uh, perhaps if I if I understand the trial correctly, from UCB's uh, Zillia Coplan, Biohaven's uh, Vertiperstat, uh, Prolinia Therapeutics, Pridopidine, and uh, Celios Therapeutics uh, Trehalose, which, oh my goodness, I'm probably murdering the pronunciation of that, as so often I do with these drug names. <laughs> but um, the one that I really want to talk about next uh, is Clean's CNM AU8. Uh, Bioworld Insider listeners may recall that Clean's chief medical officer, Rob Glansman, uh, joined us in episode 14, uh, Adieu Helms Hard Lessons and What It Means for Other Alzheimer's Drugs. And now we're pleased to have Clean's president and CEO, Rob Thurnington, joining us. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Michael, for the introduction. Thank you for inviting me. So glad to have you here. So, so tell us a little bit about CNMAU8. What, what is it? How's it meant to work? Uh, CNMAU8 is a catalytically active nanocrystal. And uh, what that means by catalyst is if we kind of harken back to high school chemistry, a catalyst lowers an activation energy to achieve another energy. So our acid is a, is a drug that patients drink every morning orally. And there are a number of clinical studies currently underway in, of course, ALS, as we've, as we've been discussing, but also other neurodegenerative diseases. Um, as a nanocrystal suspension, patients are actually drinking a clean surface, which is to say no synthetic chemistry, highly faceted crystal of gold. So yes, it sounds uh, you know, you know, di very different than a classical approach. Yeah. Um, but at the, at the atomic scale we're talking, so that's 13 nanometers in size, which is to say so small that crystal of just atoms of gold can go inside the mitochondria. And why that matters is because we see uh, brain, uh, brain blood penetration. We see that our drug is going straight inside the brain and driving an energetic response. And so what that means basically is that, that you and I and the entire human family, we slow down as we get older, but in ALS, uh, this, th there's this massive disease insult that causes you know, all of these neurological functional deficits of which uh, Dr. Simmons just spoke of. And our asset is giving the, the neuron, you know, the basic uh, uh, essential component of how our bodies move and walk and talk and eat and chew and breathe, uh, our, our, the neuron is getting the energy it requires to, to you know, help against this assault and take care of its own housekeeping. Wow, that, that sounds amazing. And I have to say that the idea of drinking gold sounds really cool, just, just on the face of it. Now, back in November 2021, BioWorld reported about a phase two trial in which CNM uh, AU8 didn't meet the primary uh, and or secondary endpoints of the study. It was called Rescue ALS. 
but at the time, in the face of that, you were really excited about the data and other ALS experts around the time were as well. Can you tell us what you saw in that data that's really encouraged and fueled further clinical work in the program? Sure. So just a little bit of background. Uh, that was a small study in ALS, a phase two proof of concept, as we call it in drug clinical development. And yes, we missed the primary endpoint that was using MUNIX, which stands for motor unit index. And so the motor unit is the way that, uh, that our brains talk to our muscles. And in this case, we were looking specifically at the connection to the muscle of the hand and the arm and the leg. And though we had a very solid trend towards changing muscle function, we did not meet the statistical significant, the endpoint was statistical significance. However, we saw a lot of different things that we weren't expecting to see. And the basic thesis here is, as I said earlier, if we can target energy metabolism, the way our body effectively uses energy, then CNMA8 may be able to protect motor neurons and restore function. And we saw mm -hmm. a statistically significant quality of life. We saw statistically significant disease progression changes. So that is patients on CNMA08 had less chance of needing a tracheostomy to breathe. They had less chance of needing a gastrostomy tube to get all of their food and water. They had, they, they had less of a chance to require full-time um, BiPAP, which is basically how I, we breathe. And we also saw uh, a, a continuing uh, developing impact on long-term survival, which is most important. Uh, we literally just presented data this morning, in fact, uh, that suggests uh, that against placebo, we have an, an, an evolving and emerging um, improvement in survival. And so that data was presented this morning at, at the NCOWS meeting, um, and we just placed it on our website. So what we've learned is that we were looking at um, this Munix, which is an important biomarker, but it wasn't the whole story. And so now we are awaiting uh, the ALS Healy study, as Dr. Simmons has just referenced, because our asset was, uh, you know, one of the drugs chosen for that is already completed all of its patient enrollment. And that data will be coming uh, in a number of months in the second half of this year. And I, I should uh, I, sh I should have said it earlier, but uh, Dr. Simmons is the primary investigator for that arm of the trial testing CNM AUA. That's am I getting that right, Dr. Simmons? Uh, the primary investigator at, at our site, but not of the overall study. Got it. Sorry about that. Sorry. Great. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's okay. So, so, so Dr. Simmons and you know outlined real. Um, advantages of a platform trial from a clinical standpoint. I was wondering from an operational standpoint, you know, as the head of a company, um, you know, leading the, this drug program from the company side, what are the advantages of participating in, in that type of trial versus another? We were thrilled that we were selected. There was a number of companies that applied and they only were able to select a relative few. And as Dr. Simmons mentioned, uh, just three to begin, of which Clean was one of those first three. Uh, patients love such a study because uh, when they come into the study, they have a less risk of going on placebo. Uh, and and the, the company, in this case Clean, we love the study because it enables us to actually share the pooled placebo from the other arms. So there's two advantages. For the patient, uh, they're more likely to get on active drug. For the company, we can share the data from the placebo from the other 
regimens. And so the consequence of this is we could increase our powering. Also, I should note the Healy study does not look at Munich, this biomarker that I referenced in Rescue. Uh, on the contrary, it looks at ALS-FRS, which is a, a, you know, a functional measure of ALS, and Dr. Simmons might wish to comment further, but um, said in my simple mind, it's, it's just basically how you move and walk and talk and eat and chew and breathe. And we're, you know, that's what we are studying in our case. And the study also looks, the Healy study also looks at survival, um, how patients, um, you know, survive and live and, and, and unfortunately pass away through the course of the study. So if the phase three readout from Healy ALS turns out positive, then what's next for the program? So the agency has already said to Harvard, who, who is the sponsor of and, and effectively, uh, quote unquote, owns this uh, uh, investigational new drug application for this program, that this is potentially a registration study. So for those companies or company, in other words, a number of the programs in the study, another of the, a number of the regimens could potentially apply for the agency for clinical approval. And so Clean's quite excited because uh, taken on top of the emerging data that we weren't expecting to see in our exploratory endpoints from rescue, which were positive, if we see those same results occur in this larger, much larger, it's, it's six to eight times larger, I should note, um, the Healy study is six to eight times larger than rescue. If we see those same study results in Healy, then we could take the drug to the agency and ask them in a new drug application for clinical and commercial approval. And is that something that would potentially happen early next year? Yes, I think it could happen within the first half of next year, indeed. Excellent. Thank you, Rob, for telling us about all that. I want to move on to talking about another drug that is not part of the Healy trial, but has been very much in the spotlight recently, Amelix's uh, AMX035, or 0035, I should say. Um, here to tell us about that are Amelix co-CEOs and co-founders Josh Cohen and Justin Klee. Welcome, guys. Thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. Thank you. Glad you're here. So I think the Amelix story really speaks to the urgency of the need that the ALS community appears to feel, under, very understandably, around gaining access to new therapies. Can you tell us a little bit about the March 30th AdCom meeting that gave voice to that? Absolutely. So, I mean, maybe first um, to give a little bit of background. Um, so Amex 35 is a drug that targets some of the key underlying pathways of cellular death. And, um, you know, this drug was studied in a, a large randomized placebo-controlled study across many sites in the United States. Those results were published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, and more recently in um, two additional publications in Muscle and Nerve and in JNN, JNNP. And broadly what we saw was that people randomized um, to AMX35 um, retained function longer. And, you know, we've published a, a survival benefit as well in Muscle and Nerve and, and in other, um, you know, journals and, and publications. Um, so, you know, I think at the um, ADCOM, I think it was primarily a, um, you know, biostatistical debate about um, different, different ways to model um, disease progression and, you know, model um, ALS clinical trials. Um, you know, we had designed all of our biostatistics and modeling, you know, with, with the team at, um, you know, at Mass General and, you know, it sought a lot of advice and guidance from the ALS community as we, you know, built and designed the trial. So we felt that, you know, we really had designed this kind of in the state of the art, um, best possible way. 
Um, and I think we were pretty pleased too when the um, you know biostatistician um, on the panel um, also you know voted in favor of the drug and kind of in his comments um, you know also stated that he thought the the biostatistics were were handled really well. So you know I think overall we're we're pretty thrilled about you know our our data. Really excited to be able to publish in a place like the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, th- this is the scientific process. I think. Um, the FDA's job and, you know, the job of an advisory committee is to kind of poke and prod and, you know, pressure test every every little aspect, you know, of the data and otherwise. But I think exactly as you said and as was highlighted um, in the open public hearing, you know, this is not a disease where where we need to be too, too nitpicky or, re- or really you, – you hear from people with ALS and, you know, what they're thinking about is potentially a death that um, basically involves suffocation. Um, or not being able to speak or or eat their favorite food or, you know, hug a loved one. And, you know, I think for them, uh, every day, every hour uh, matters. Um, this, this is a fast disease, um, median survival about two years. And so I think there's there really is a lot of urgency and, you know, hearing from from all the patients um, and, and caregivers and advocacy groups and doctors um, during the open public hearing just really highlighted you know, what we're fighting against. And, you know, I think we at Amelix really share a commitment that um, we're going to keep fighting until this disease is done. And, and that's what we're here to do. So I know that that fight obviously can, you know, takes many forms, um, you know, whether through advocacy or through, you know, working with patient groups. And obviously there's the, you know, the clinical aspects. I, I think that I, if I recall correctly, you're running a phase three trial. And even as we're recording, you're presenting some new, data, a new post hoc analysis uh, of data from the phase two trial that VADCOM looked at. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that's been underway since the ADCOM and uh, this presentation today? And then Kels? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thanks so much, Michael. So this is Justin. As you said, we're uh, uh, continuing to generate uh, data uh, on AMX35 through our phase three Phoenix trial. Uh, so that's uh, both uh, here in the U.S. as well as uh, in uh, in Europe, and it's a, a collaboration through the Niels organization, which is the largest uh, ALS uh, hospital consortium in the U.S. and Cal slash TriCal's in in Europe, which is the uh, largest European consortium. And so uh, for us, uh, we always try to bring all the different stakeholders together, and an opportunity to have the leaders of the field. Working with us on this phase three trial is tremendously exciting. So enrollment is ongoing as we speak. We uh, do not expect top line results though until probably early 2024. And so I think while we're um, tremendously excited about the trial and the data that we'll generate from it, uh, I think the unfortunate reality that we're facing is that by the time the uh, Phoenix trial reads out, uh, many uh, people living with ALS today won't be here anymore uh, to see those results. And so I think uh, it just constantly reminds us how precious time is for people with ALS. Uh, and to the point on on uh, additional analyses, including what we're uh, presenting uh, at NCALS, I think uh, Josh highlighted uh, quite a bit of it, but uh, we had the first two sort of foundational publications, first in the New England Journal and then in Muscle and Nerve, uh, looking at the uh, 24-week uh, uh, primary endpoint that was the ALS functional rating scale, uh, and then the uh, longer-term survival benefit. Uh, and so now we've looked at uh, two additional sets of things. Um, first are uh, pre-specified analyses 
uh, on key study events. So that's looking at things like time to hospitalization, time to tracheostomy, things that are really, really important for uh, people with ALS and people who care for people with ALS. Uh, and then we've published a, another follow-up publication uh, to our first one in muscle and nerve, uh, again in muscle and nerve, looking at uh, the uh, 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 long-term survival analysis, both an update uh, to the survival analysis, as well as uh, leveraging methods that have been used in oncology uh, to look at, uh, we, after 24 weeks, uh, allowed uh, all participants to go on to active treatment, which is a wonderful thing to do. But of course, if people on placebo are getting active treatment, it may uh, impact the treatment benefit that you're able to see. So groups in, in oncology have worked out methodology to try to account for this. And what we've seen is that uh, when we use this, these different methods, uh, the survival benefit uh, from AMX35 in the study uh, ranges from a benefit of about uh, 10 and a half months to uh, as much as 18 months um, compared with the uh, 6.9 months uh, we saw originally. So um, we're really excited about that uh, additional data, both that we'll be generating from the phase three trial, as well as the new analyses that we've published and are presenting right now. So with the PDUFA on June 29th, um, what are you expecting on the very near horizon? I mean, do you do you anticipate receiving a complete response letter and moving ahead with the phase three trial? Or I mean, what where do you where do you think things are gonna go? Yeah, so I mean we're still under review and so you know there's probably not much we can comment on at this point regarding the outcome of that review. You know, I think we have some really, really strong data and science um, you know, behind the program. Mm -hmm. And the, the phase three is ongoing, um, you know, regardless. So I don't think that the um, PDUFA outcome, you know, really affects the phase three all that much. So I think, you know, maybe just to add to, um, the drug is also under review, not just in the U.S., but also in Canada um, and in Europe. And, you know, we're continuing to evaluate um, other other areas, territories, et cetera, where, um, you know, that might be appropriate to, to look to as well. I think at the end of the day, our, our goal and our decision making is pretty simple. Um, we're trying to do whatever um, can help can help uh, people with ALS and, you know, whatever we can do to um, improve their lives as, you know, as quickly as we possibly can, you know, acting with urgency. Um, so I think, you know, we, we've always tried to take a very collaborative approach, um, you know, with the different health authorities. So um, we're going to continue doing that and, you know, making our best scientific cases and, and moving forward. My, Michael, just to add one one other thing to just uh, react to something that uh, uh, uh... Uh, Dr. Simmons, who brought up uh, uh, earlier, who's a, a, a you know world expert, I think the point on uh, we so often uh, are focused on uh, uh, new treatments, which I think is uh, is of course critical. But the the points Dr. Simmons was raising on multidisciplinary care, I just I just think are are wonderful and often uh, maybe overlooked by uh, folks like us who who focus mostly on the industry. And I think it just highlights uh, in ALS. We really need a community effort. Uh, it's it's a really tough disease, and I think the way that we're really going to solve it uh, is is both through treatment approaches, cocktail approaches, as Dr. Simmons said, as as well as the multidisciplinary care. So I think as we uh, go forward in all of this, our goal is also to uh, try to be a good partner in the community uh, and and continue to advance on on all fronts, uh, uh, including the treatment side. Excellent. I think that it's clear to me that there's so so much energy and effort and um, 
you know, just seriousness of purpose behind uh, both of these programs that we've talked about today and uh, on the you know, clinical side with that Dr. Simmons is, is so instrumental and really can't thank you all enough for uh, joining us today. It's been very interesting to hear about uh, where things are with uh, the development of new therapies in ALS and, uh, and a great learning opportunity for me. So thank you for that. I wish you all luck as your uh, programs proceed and trials unfold. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you very much. Thank you. Justin, Josh, Rob, and Dr. Simmons, thanks for joining us today. As always, BioWorld will continue to keep you informed of all the most important scientific, clinical, and business updates. That's our show for today. If you need to track the development of drugs, turn to BioWorld.com. Follow us on Twitter or email us at newsdesk at BioWorld.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for joining us. BioWorld, published by Clarivate, is a subscription-based news service, but all of our COVID-19 content, more than 7,000 articles and data entries since the start of the pandemic, are freely accessible. 